Well, good morning. Well, you can do better than that, certainly. Good morning. So glad to see all of you here this morning. Thank you, the worship team, for you leading so well this morning. And I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, I am uh, always want to be cautious. Um, the caution you have to use anytime you're in a, in a gathering of God's people is like you have a plan, right? And, and then you have what I believe um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe God can prompt us sometimes for just a moment to change our plans. Um, and so I really wrestled with this um, as they were leading in worship. Uh, but we're going to do it. I think it's necessary. And here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you're visiting for the very first time. Um, I'm Greg Worley. This is my beautiful wife and children on the front row or the second row. So she's the fine redhead right there. If you wondered who that was, she's fine. She's mine. Um, <laughs> for 27 years, I've been given a gift from God and a beautiful wife. And I'm so grateful for Lori and... Uh, for Miss Nora Lane sitting right beside her, who just a few years ago seems, I called her my little bug everywhere we went. Uh, she was in my pocket and so, so glad that she's here. Sarah Grace, uh, my youngest, is here. Uh, almost the tallest in the family, will be before long, and a good friend of our family's, Mr. Will Keener. So here's what I want to do, and, and it's so awkward to do it, but I want to do it. Um, I can remember years ago, Lori may remember this, we were right across the border in Mexico and we were, we were having a, uh, it was the last day of a mission. And on that mission, we gathered in a room just similar to this. And a gentleman said, before we go on mission, I want you to ask the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord where he would send you and what he would have you to do today. And that was the plan. You remember that well, right? And I remember sitting in that room, but he also said one other thing. He said, I want you to also ask the Lord, is there anyone in this room that you could pray for? And I want you to go immediately and pray for them. And I remember it shaped my life because I met a friend, uh, oddly enough, that served in a Catholic church in Houston, Texas. And him and I shared at that time messages through mail uh, for several years encouraging one another. Here's what I want you to do. We're not going to take a long time, but I want you, maybe you know someone, maybe you come here today because in every room uh, that's gathered this morning in local churches, there's broken hearts, there's glad hearts, there's hearts that are healing, there's hearts that need help. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but here's what I do know, that God is sufficient to meet your need, whatever it is. And the body of Christ, when we are praying together, is the most effective that will ever be because asking is the rule of the kingdom. Don't ever forget that. So I, I don't want to draw this out. I'm okay with it being silent for just a moment, but I do want to give what I believe the Lord prompted me to do. I want to give opportunity for that to take place. And so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right where you're at. Nothing, nothing strange or weird. We're not going to extend it. But I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, could you use me? pray for someone this morning. Could you use me? Could you use the prayers maybe of a body of believers gathered together? Maybe you know a need in this room. Maybe you don't. But here's what I want to give you the opportunity to do. Ask the Lord, God, could you use me to pray for anyone in this room this morning? You ready? 
So now what I want you to do is open your eyes. This is unscripted. It wasn't planned. But I want you to look around the room. That means you're going to have to like rotate, okay, like 180 degrees. I want you to look around the room. Maybe you're feeling like your heart's beating out of your chest right now, and you're like, hey, I know I need to pray for someone. Hey, if that's you, you probably need to go ahead and stand up because you're probably going to have to move maybe to a person in front of you or a person behind you. Anybody in here sense that? All right, thank you. Anybody else? You're like, well, what do we do now? Well, you just go pray for someone. You go look around. You lay hands on them. Um, You know, let's be realistic here. Generally, our elders will probably pray with uh, families. Women, you may be in the room. I would encourage you to pray for another lady that's in the room. We'll take just a moment to do this. But I believe there's somebody here this morning that you thought, God, if you would just show me and remind me that you're real and that you hear me, and I believe God is sending the body of Christ around you this morning to encourage you. So we'll take just a moment. Silence is, is okay. But just go to that person and pray for them. You're like, well, who do, I, who do I know who to go to? Well, if you'll make yourself available, God will show you. I trust in that. Make yourself available, and God will show you. Well, Lord, we trust in you. More than anything in life, we trust in you. We, la- we ask, Lord, as you taught us to pray, we pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our prayer this morning is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, whatever the weight this morning, God, let us glance at what is surrounding us and what is facing us. And for a few moments, God, may we gaze into the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ and see you and embrace you and understand your plan for us. God, have your way. Let nothing I say hinder your work here. And Lord, may you be exalted. May you silence my thoughts, God. And may we dig into your word. It is truth, and we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, and instruction in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped and prepared for every good work. And so, Lord, we give you the next few moments together as we open up the bread of life. Open our eyes that we may see. God, there's some eyes that will not see this morning unless you open them. And I plead with you, God, open the eyes of the blind this morning. Not physically blind, spiritually blind. God, open eyes like you opened mine at 19 years old, when I for the first time saw you for who you were. And God, would you open our ears that we would not just listen, but God, we would hear your word. God, bring life to this fellowship this morning. Breathe life here through Christ's power. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, amen. Didn't plan on starting that way. 
But if you get nothing else out of the sermon, get this. If you sense God speaks something to you, give him the benefit of the doubt and obey, no matter what it is in life. Whether it's a simple prayer meeting, that's one of the simplest things we could do is listen to God's voice and stop for a moment and pray. So I'm excited to be here. Um, and we're going to look in God's word together this morning as, as Jared uh, and his team so appropriately titled the message. It is the greatest sermon of all time because it was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to reflect on that truth this morning. And so if you would, I want us to read, we're going to read the first six verses in the Beatitudes, and you're going to continue on a journey for uh, quite some time, I'm sure, through Matthew. I'm going to set my time here. I told Jared I'd be done in 30 minutes. Um, I'm probably about 11 or 12 minutes behind, so I don't know that I can talk that fast. But anyway... Um, let's look together in God's Word. And I would ask, if you would, not in honor of me, but in honor of God's Word, would you stand as we read the Word together? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through 6. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he had sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the gentle or meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You may be seated. We're going to do a quick survey just uh, over the past few weeks. How many of you have been here since they began um, the Beatitude series? How many of you have been here the whole time. Excellent. So many of you have. So we're going to do a quick review. And this is like class, right? So we're going to pretend like it's class for just a moment. And when a teacher poses a question, they expect their students, disciples in this case, uh, of Jesus, I expect you to give me the answer. Can we do that? Just a little response. So here's, here's a, a quick survey, a 30,000 foot view. Marcus did a great job in the introduction of presenting what the purpose of the Beatitudes was and what Jesus was, was teaching here, and this is the summary, it is teaching about the kingship, the lordship, and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. What could not be done in the first king, anybody remember who the first king was mentioned in the Bible? Oh, come on now. I mean, there you go. Excellent. Adam in the garden, right? He, he was given authority, subdue. Everything was under his control, and what happened? Everything went out of control. But in Jesus Christ, the second Adam, he comes and, and Jesus is establishing his kingdom, literally, as we're reading here. And we look, these Beatitudes are establishing the kingdom of God on earth with King Jesus. Amen? Ruling. And so that is, in summary, uh, the purpose of the Beatitudes. Uh, Marcus used a great uh, scripture in that introduction to paint the picture to show you that in a summary, I want you to know this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, in summary, I want you to know this. In the picture of the Beatitudes, that His divine power, His divine power, not ours, not, not willpower, not, not, not moral reform, but His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness 
through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's what you frame these Beatitudes in. Here's what I want you to know, that this is not a, the Beatitudes are not just a, it's not a picture of extraordinary Christians. It's not a picture of above average Christians. The Beatitudes are a picture and characteristics of all Christians. Now, I will say this, that in these Beatitudes that, we're going, that you've already observed, there will be varying degrees as you journey and grow with Christ, okay? So a, a, a person that comes to know Christ, they will sometimes simultaneously and sequentially experience these Beatitudes, but all of them are present in a believer's life. And so we talked about Blessed are the poor in spirit. You remember Pastor Brian come? That would be yes. That would be inappropriate. All right, let's work on this. Do you remember when Pastor Brian come? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like if you're teaching in your audience, you lose them in the first 60 seconds. You know, you're like, oh gosh. So Pastor Brian come. Anybody remember in a summary what he said about blessed are the poor in spirit? What was the summary of his message? Yes, this is good. So what he said was, no, I know you know. You're like, he said so much. Why do I narrow it down to one? I know that's what you're thinking. He said, basically, blessed are those who are bankrupt before God. Blessed are those who do not see themselves as the Pharisees, as better than other people, but blessed are those who see themselves. You remember? The publican, you remember him? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You got to understand in this audience, that would have been very good news for some and very offensive to others. Because in this, in this crowd, they would be a lot of religious leaders, most likely. They had followed Jesus. They, they knew. They knew the story surrounding him. And for them to hear, blessed are the poor in spirit, they were very much proud in spirit. And it would have appalled them to hear such conversation. I want you to notice here in the Beatitudes, if you look in verse 3, you understand it begins with the kingdom of heaven. And then when you look in verse 10, it ends with the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are all about the kingdom of heaven and how to possess them through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he grants us all of these things through Christ. Amen? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then blessed are those who mourn. Remember, Pastor Mark has talked about that mourning is not just mourning, uh, though mourning does take place at death. That's, that's secondary, third, I don't know how far down the line is, but primarily when Jesus is teaching, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who mourn over their own sins. And he's saying, blessed are you when you're no longer arrogant. Blessed are you when you understand that you're no better than no one else. Blessed are you when you see yourself as Christ sees you and you mourn over your condition. Do you know who the worst man in the mirror is in this room? Oh, it's not you. It's me. And when I realize and walk before a mirror in my bathroom this morning and think I'll go to a church and share scriptures, I can't help but to think, and one side of me is a filthy, wretched soul, and God saved me. And do you know I never want to get over the fact that God in his abundant grace, you know the story, 
2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you know the story, right? For though he was rich, yet he become poor, that Greg Worley and you and you and you, that through his poverty we might become rich. I don't know about you, but I know me really well, and I can't imagine why God would send his son Jesus to die for me. I remember sitting in Christian Baptist Church when I was 19 years old and Ed Lacey sharing that, that God loves you so much and your sins separate you so far from God. And I remember my eyes being open and saying, I can come to Christ on his terms through faith and repentance. And I remember, all I remember of my conversion was there was this great separation between me and God. Do you know no matter how good you look on the outside, Your sins cause a great distance between you and God. They rob God of his glory and creation as he created you to be. He created you in his image and his likeness, and our sins have marred that. You're like, Greg, I'm not that bad. Oh, I'm not talking about the public sins. I'm talking about the private sins, the sins that no one else knows about. The sins that if I were to say, hey, openly confess them, you'd be like, no, 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 no. And Marcus said sin was like a swamp to the soul. You should hang on to those words for a long time. Sin's like swamp to a soul, but you remember what he said? Confession's the way you drain it. We're talking about righteousness this morning, and the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all what? Unrighteousness. So we learned that blessed is they who mourn. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm thinking I'm going to lose my bet to Jared at this point. Jared said, he he said one thing that stuck out to me. He said a lot of things that stuck out to me, but one thing that really just zeroed in on me. We went bird hunting for a few minutes with Jared last week. You remember that? And he said him and his dad had dogs, and they had bird dogs. And it's one of the most beautiful, majestic things to see in the fields when you see a a bird dog cutting scent and and wanting to, wanting to, wanting to go in and flush those birds. But by a voice command, they what? They yield. And so Jared talked to us about meekness is not weakness, but it's power under control. And when I heard Jared share that story about a, a dog and how it's trained to Um, respond to voice commands. I thought, what a beautiful thing it is that the Lord Jesus Christ in his meekness and his imparted meekness that we will submit to him. Do you know what the first voice command I heard of when I was 19 years old? Stop. Greg, stop. And for the first time in my life, I yielded to that command. And when, when Ed Lacey so beautifully said, Greg, repent, I stopped, worth nothing more than a bird dog, but responding for the first time to the voice commands of God, and I turned. And I thought when Jared shared that story, how appropriate it is to this scripture that much more beautiful are we than dogs, but too through the Spirit of Christ that we can yield to a voice command. And you know what the commands were to this crowd? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Previously, John the Baptist was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, before before the Beatitudes, is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And do you know for you to be willing to repent, there has to be a meekness inside of you that harnesses you and says, stop. You're not going to do that on your own. You're not going to stop. That's why you can't stop. That's why some people never stop because they will not yield to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. But blessed are the meek. It was like a nine-minute introduction. Not that I'm keeping up with it, but... And so we land here today. The sweet lady in the back, I gave you all my notes. I'm sorry, but we're going to be all over the map. But we're going to have to land the plane before long. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, it's interesting when Jesus saw the crowds here... This is the exposition of the law, by the way. If you look back, we're not gonna, we don't have time to go there, but if you were to look in ex, Exodus chapter 20, you would find where God gave the law the first time and God came down on the mountain, right? And there was a great separation of the people and the presence of God. God came down, the people came, could only come so close, and then there was a separation. But on this mountain, the second time, when the law has been fulfilled through Christ, Christ goes up on the mountain and the people draw near. Don't miss this. This is a beautiful picture in Scripture. You understand that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Christ fulfilled the law, went up to the mountain, and now allows people to come near him. It's a beautiful picture. We don't have time to go there. It's a whole different story. But here's the truth that's contained in this text. The crowds, one of the, one, of the, one of the things that always amazes me about Jesus is that he saw the people. In five verse, um, four chapters later, he saw the people and he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to ask you something honestly. When was the last time you saw someone and your heart just hurt for a moment? I, you, I'm talking about when was the last time in population me, in the world of iClouds, iTunes, and iPhones, it's all about me, right, in population me? No, it's not at all. But when was the last time you saw people? Lori and I was eating breakfast at one of our favorite restaurants. You want to guess what it is? That's the Waffle House. It's a beautiful place. Yes. Who just said that? Yes. The Waffle House. And Lori and I was sitting there yesterday, and I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I, I love going there is because I think it's a great place. I think it's a great place to go sit with broken people. And so we set up to the bar yesterday. Not We set up at the bar, like, you know, where they serve waffles. We set up... We sat at the bar there yesterday, and the sweet young lady was serving us. And she walked off for a moment and came back, and she said, I'm so, so sorry, so sorry. She said, my son's in YDC, and I had to take his call. And I was sitting there with a waffle, and I started crying because I thought, my God, I'm eating a waffle, and here's a mom that's looking at her, her son, probably that she gave birth to very much, unless she's adopted, gave birth to, nourished. I don't think this was a dream of that mom. My heart was moved, and I looked over at Lori, and she, was, she had wet eyes over a waffle. Before we left, I said, hey, I'd love to 
have the opportunity to serve you and your family. Here's, here's a way you can reach out to us. I don't know what God will do with that. But I'll tell you this, early yesterday morning, we prayed, God, help us to see people today. And so I encourage you, listen, if you get nothing else out of the message today, get this. Get this characteristic of Jesus. Get your eyes off yourself and see other people. There is a vast amount of people that are dying without Christ. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Every one of these beatitudes, you know what word it begins with? Blessed. You've heard no less than four preachers and teachers and elders teach you what blessed means. What does blessed mean? It means happy, supremely happy. I think God in his wisdom through the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe he is going at the heart of what every person's longing for. It's the pursuit of what? Happiness. And, and, and he is teaching here the key to happiness, and it's so countercultural of what everybody wants. Here's the summary in, the, in one sentence. Blessed are those, you could say it this way, blessed are those who do not hunger and thirst for happiness. Do you know that happiness is the motive behind every decision? That's why you get a bigger car or a bigger truck. It's going to make you happy. That, that's why you get a bigger house and you move and you move and you move. You, you know why you move? Because in that decision, there is the motive that when I get there, I'll be happy. When you move jobs many times to make more money, to do this or that, it's to make you happy. That's the motive behind it. But what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching is this. Do you know in Proverbs 27, 20, I want you to look at the latter part of Proverbs chapter 27, 20. The eyes of a man are never satisfied. If what you are pursuing for happiness begins with what you gaze at here, it's not going to make you happy. The eyes of the Lord, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And what Christ is teaching here is that you will only find satisfaction in Christ alone. You'll only be happy in Christ alone. Amen? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's real clear in the Beatitudes. I took over a few moments earlier in the week to look what we pursue. Do you know we have an endless pursuit of happiness? Did you know that? And 2020, 374 B, with a B, $374 billion spent in the U.S. on outdoor recreation. We're looking for happiness. The Bureau and Labor Statistics for the United States says that the average, listen, the average American, 15 years and older, spends about five and a half hours per day in leisure sports activities. You're like, well, hold on a second. Well, it, it, this is what it takes in. Television, somewhere around 160 minutes. Playing games, depending on your age, somewhere around 30 minutes. Reading, about 20 minutes. This endless pursuit for pleasure. So I want you to do something. Let's, let's, you ever had a pop test? <laughs> I was terrible on testing, by the way. So I thought I would inflict some of the pain on you that was inflicted on me most of my education career, okay? I'll take great pleasure. And go ahead and pull out your phones for just a moment. 
Oh man, we're 20 minutes in. Actually, we're like 30 minutes in when you count the prayer time. Uh, this is what I want you to do. Pull out your phone. I would never tell you to do that. Except in this condition, I want you to pull out your phone. And, and I want to see, uh, there's just, some of you already know where I'm going. Like, so if you got an iPhone, it's probably like number nine down. I want you to flip on that screen time there. Oh. Go ahead and flip on that screen time. And before you rejoice like I did earlier, what you're going to need to do is go back and look at the previous week, not today, okay? So when you look at your statistics today, you're like, yeah, oh, I want you to go back to last week. Can you do that? Anybody? Now, everybody's so spiritual now. They won't have, Let me see your phones. Oh, you, <laughs> some people are not participating, Jared. It's at this point I want to throw my phone. No, I'm just playing. Right, look at your screen time. You're like, Greg, this is not relevant. It is very relevant. And then what I want you to do is just screen through for just a moment and look at all activities. Hmm. You got there yet? So you're like, well, big deal. Uh, anybody want to know what mine was? In the past week, I touched this thing. I picked it up, Philip. You know how many times I picked it up? You can look at pickups. 871 times. The average I spent on this each day, see, I, I'm not putting you on the spot. The average I spent on this, whether it's doing research or whether it's um, talking, texting, whatever. Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to share what your average was? Oh, you don't have to. I will. About four hours a day. Last week, I spent a total of 29 hours here. Somehow, some way, some form, some fashion. Here's what I want to tell you. We're in one of the loneliest generations that psychology is captured right now. And you know what I think it begins with? Right here. Now, I'm not saying this is inherently evil. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's almost like an adult pacifier these days. I'm walking around no matter where you walk and people are doing this. You know what I want to do? Ah, hello. Do you know face-to-face -face engagement has dropped dramatically? Do you know the people will say, I don't have time to read my Bible, and yet we can look over, Greg can look over, and I, I picked this thing up 29 hours, and I don't have time to read my Bible? Well, you're like, well, Greg, I read my Bible on my phone. Well, I mean, if you want to go that way in conviction, look and see how much your screen time was on your Bible app compared to Instagram. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> that hurts me worse than it does you. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We have an endless pursuit of happiness in life, and we often say, I, I believe in my heart it's the right thing to do. People will say, I'm going to leave this community and go to another community, and I'm going to do this, and I, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to date this person, and, and there's always this summary statement, I believe in my heart it's the right thing to do. Do you know the problem with that statement? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, your heart's deceitfully wicked above all things. Hear me, don't trust your heart. In fact, whatever it is you're pursuing, I'm going to ask you to do this. Close your eyes, close the window, and ask yourself, is it pleasing to God? Because if it's pleasing to your eyes, and if it appeals to your flesh, it's not going to bring happiness. 
It's just a temporary moment. It's passing. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. What a strange paradox. Blessed is he who hungers, for he shall be filled. How does that work? Do you know the only thing that will make you hunger for righteousness is that gift of grace that God offers us? There's nothing in you wants God. There's nothing in you that's ever wanted God. The only reason any of us in this room ever desired God is because he made us alive. And when he makes us alive in Christ, then we, we desire the things of God. Amen? Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. This picture here, this is the way I want you to think about this, is this hunger here is a picture of a man in a barren land longing for a single morsel of food. Let me ask you something. What do you long for on a regular basis? Do you long for more of God? Do, do you long for more of him? If you've been authentically converted, you long for him more and more. Do you know one of the first things that I've always noticed? I noticed that Marcus and I have just, we're, we're acquaintances, we're brothers in Christ. I'm getting to know him and he's getting to know me. And I see young men like Marcus and I see young men uh, and young women all alike that when they've come to Christ on his terms, do you know what always is the mark of those people, men or women, doesn't matter of someone that's been converted, do you, do you know what a, a, a soul mark is? It's all, I mean, it's almost always identifiable. You know what it is? They want to know more about God. They hunger and they thirst and they begin to pick up this book and they begin like Dawson to read and to read and to read and like Matthew and they, they dig and they discover and they mine and they put it down and they dig and they discover and mine and he or she that's come into right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have a hunger and thirst for this word. I'm going to step out on a limb here and say this. If you don't have a th hunger and thirst for this word, please take a moment and examine yourself. I mean, if you've tasted the bread of life and you know the source of life, certainly you're going to want more. A difficult parallel, but my wife makes the best buttermilk biscuits known to man. She don't have to say, Greg, do you want any biscuits? I mean, the moment I smell that oven, cooking that bread, all oh, that sweet smell. Maybe ham and biscuits tonight. When I, when, when, when I smell that and savor it, listen, this is a vast difference, but I don't, she don't say, Greg, would you please be hungry for this? Because I've tasted and I've experienced and I want more. It's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you've tasted and experienced his goodness, you will long, you will hunger and thirst for more of him. Now, there'll be varying degrees of that in your journey. Hear me, there'll be varying degrees of that but you will not be satisfied in anything less than Christ alone. Listen, the crowds here, they were following Jesus because not only was he saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you realize they'd seen all kind of miracles, all kind of miracles, all kind of people healed. And listen, they're coming to Jesus because they want something. But those that are called close to Christ here, those disciples, they're looking for more of someone. Now, I want to submit to you today, what you're longing for is someone. It's not something. 
the great charter. Listen, the Beatitudes are the great charter for every soul that is lonely and hungry and wants more than life has to offer. It is the great charter. It is the declaration that in Christ, you can be satisfied and apart from him, you will be empty. Lori and I was sitting a few weeks ago, true story, Loganville High School, walking in with a school counselor. And I said, ma'am, you really, I, we know her. I'm not going to call her name of the district. And it wasn't the Loganville School District. Uh, but it was, a, it was a neighboring county. And I, I said, you, you look like you're tired today. She said, I'm tired. I'm wore out. Greg, she said, we have kids in counselor's office in the middle school, in the high school. There's no more room for kids. You know what they were struggling with? True story, two weeks, maybe three weeks ago. There's so many kids that are having conversations about suicide. Greg, we thought we were going to have to call other school districts to come help us. There's no more room. Our kids are broken. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. How can we as a church, Big C Church, be quiet about this? It's urgent that we tell people that you can only be happy in Christ alone. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. It's the hunger of a barren land and one morsel of bread. Psalms 42 says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. When shall I come and appear? We don't have time to go there, but in John 14, uh, John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 14, he said, I am the water of life. And in John 7, 37, he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come. Let him come. You say, Greg, what do I need to be happy? The Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I receive the Lord Jesus Christ? On his terms and his terms alone. You repent and you believe. But repentance means you've got to turn. Blessed is the one who longs for that which they cannot provide for themselves. In the life of the American dream, we can provide for ourselves, right? We can get bigger houses, faster cars, faster boats, faster everything. But that doesn't satisfy the longing soul. There's only one thing that will satisfy a soul that's hungry, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed it's he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen? It's interesting when I look around our culture, they hunger and thirst to be right. When he's teaching here on the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's teaching that you're happy when you seek to be in right relationship with God. That's simply what it says. It's, it means to be right. I want to ask you something, very simple question. Don't read too deep. We have some deep thinkers in here. I want to ask you something, just literally. Are you happy? Is your soul satisfied? Is it well? Is it troubled? For that's the whole story of these Beatitudes is how to be happy, supremely happy in Christ alone. I want you to ponder that question as we begin to land the plane here because if you're not happy, 
The motive behind every action in life for you will be to find happiness. And what you're going to find out is that when you pursue happiness and you place happiness and you reverse the order and put happiness in front of righteousness, misery is always the final destination. I'll say it again. It's worth listening to. Anytime you reverse the order of this and you pursue happiness over righteousness, misery is always the final destination. Take it to the bank. You can't do life on your terms and be happy. Look at the garden. And from the garden until this day, on March the 20th, when man is left to himself to pursue his own ways, misery always ensues. It's the final destination. We're to seek for righteousness because we have no righteousness of our own. Do you know how many good righteous people they are in here? None. You're like, Greg, well, I'm a good person. <laughs> really? There's none righteous. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there's none, there's none, there's none. You can't do enough good. You can't have enough moral reformation to pay the price for your sins. Only Christ can. And it's a glorious day when we, for the first time, realize that we have no righteousness on our own. Do you know what some people's righteousness is? They'll live ungodly. They'll live however they want to. They'll call the shots. They'll rule their kingdom. And their righteousness is, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer. I know I did. And that's their righteousness. And that's what they'll support at. That, that is their statement of faith, that I prayed a prayer. Friend, that's not righteousness. You're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. And it may, it may have a vehicle through prayer where you come to Christ. But listen, you're not saved by your prayer. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's it. Amen? That is the only way that we can have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Big word, different sermon. Now, I want you to know this, that his righteousness replaces our unrighteousness when we come to him on his terms. Amen? So how do you know that you've experienced and you've hungered and thirst for righteousness? Well, one is, if Christ has placed a new nature inside of you, you become a brand new creation, and you long to know more and more of him each day. I'll say this as we land the plane. In Psalms 107, verse 9, it says this, that he satisfies the longing soul and fills the, good, fills the hungry with goodness. Do you know how you can be completely satisfied? It's in Christ. You don't need a new marriage. You don't need a new job. You don't need... Here, let me just give you some simple... Here's some very simple country wisdom. You ready? Wherever you go, you're always going to be. And without Christ, it's going to be a miserable me. Wherever you go, you're always going to be. You can go try and try and try and try and try, but you're never going to be satisfied apart from Christ. I want to ask if our worship team would come up and 
I want you to ponder the question as they're coming up. I want you to ponder a question that, that's worth pondering. And it's this. Are you happy? I, I mean, is your soul satisfied in Christ? Are you hungry? I remember my grandmother used to tell me I was raised uh, by an elderly lady, and she used to always tell me, Greg, don't, don't ruin your appetite. What she was saying was, I prepared a meal for you. Don't ruin your appetite with snacks. And here's what I want to tell you. Do you know what? That in life, sometimes we can, we can ruin our appetite by eating snacks. It's doing things we shouldn't do. It's like Marcus said, here's, here's, if you identify your sin and you know something separating you from your pursuit of Christ, what do you do? You seek the Lord, Psalms 51. You pray. You get in God's Word and you remove hindrances. What do you do? You remove hindrances. So maybe here today, maybe you have in fact hungered and thirst for righteousness at one time, but you know it's not the same appetite you had before. Maybe at one time you pursued Christ closely and you know that today that, that pursuit's not as hot. And maybe you are trying to find satisfaction in bigger and better and new things, scriptures call out to us today to be satisfied in Christ alone. So I'm going to invite you right where you're at to just stand to your feet. and If you would, just close your eyes for just a moment. Nothing magic about closing your eyes other than for just a few minutes. It may prevent a distraction. I'm going to ask the elders. I'm going to be down front. I'm going to ask the elders if you would make your way toward the front. There may be someone that we can pray with. There may be someone that would like to come forward. I don't know. There's nothing magic about coming forward, but there is something magic about making a decision. Not magic, but there is something important about a decision that the best I know how, I'm going to make a decision to follow Christ. John Piper said this, and I'll close. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. The Westminster Catechism said, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever Spurgeon said holiness is the road to happiness the death of sin is the life of joy and I'll say this in closing you'll find in Jesus the happiness that you've always been seeking it's funny I'm not a fan but I read this statement about Elvis Presley some of you may be a fan of him I'm certainly not but a reporter asked him while he was nearing death. said, Elvis, when you first started playing music, you said you wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. Are you happy? You don't want to know his reply. It was a resounding no. So maybe you're here today and you're surrounded with people, but you feel alone in the crowd and you're isolated in success. I ask you one question, friend. Are you happy? You can be. So I'm going to pray. If you say, Greg, it's not right with my soul. I'm not happy. I want to repent and come to Christ. I'm going to invite you to come this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the light that it shines for our path. I pray, God, that if there's one here that you're drawing, not that it's convinced by my story, but if you're drawing someone through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, God, I pray that they wouldn't harden their heart any longer. I pray they'd come to you. 
So, Lord, have your way now. We ask these things in Christ's name.